chapter 6, if you'll turn there, Job chapter 6. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and uh, you can read the text with this and we'll see how far the Lord gets us tonight. But we'll start in Job, the Old Testament, right before the book of Psalms. And we'll start at chapter 6, verse 1. So we're doing a verse-by-verse study on Wednesday night in the book of Job. On Wednesday, we'll be going through the Old Testament. It's a wonderful study. We are in the section of the Old Testament called the uh, Poetic Books, and that includes Job and then Psalms and Proverbs and Song of Solomon and Ecclesiastes. So uh, we'll be traveling through there as we, uh, those books as we go into the next year and, and uh, just continue to go through God's Word. Uh, while you're turning there to Job chapter 6, just a couple things. I mentioned parents to, to the youth, 6 to 8 o'clock on Saturday here at the church for middle schoolers and high schoolers in a time of fellowship in, in food and devotional. And then also I want to remind you of the Grief Share Outreach November 13th, Surviving the Holidays Seminar at 7 o'clock here. And um, so if you've got any questions on that, the information is there. Joan is here. You can, Joan kind of is um, heading up that ministry and uh, a wonderful, wonderful opportunity for you, not only if that would be a blessing for you, but also for somebody else that you know that it may benefit and be a blessing to has gone through loss. And, and so make sure that these flyers that you have that are here in your bulletin that you pass those out and invite somebody. And again, if you've got any questions, we'll get you in touch with Joan on that. And, um, and uh, so um, very important night uh, to be a blessing to those going through loss during time of the holiday season, which is upon us here coming up. Koinia Fellowship on the 15th, make sure to uh, jot that down at Jerry and Sandy Sanders and 6 o'clock potluck and their um, address and phone numbers there in the bulletin as well as maps to their house. Operation Christmas Child coming up and so make sure you get your box so you can bring it back on the 16th that Sunday and we'll just do a uh, a blessing and have kind of a dedication um, as we have our service for that week. That collection week starts on the 17th through the 24th. And of course, we need help. So that table out there uh, has some times for uh, you to be able to sign up and help during that week. The hours are posted there. If you can help out for an hour, if you can help out for an evening, you can help out because I believe Tuesday and Thursday evenings, Gail, is still you're going to do. And then um, also uh, check the hours that are there. But the collection week, 17th through the 24th, we will have several thousand boxes coming here that need to be uh, put in uh, bigger boxes and, and marked and, and numbered and all of this and uh, put into a trailer and get ready for the uh, distribution center um, as it goes to Fort Collins and Denver and then to its final destination. So. Make sure that you sign up for that. And again, Gail's here if you got any questions. She'll be happy to answer any questions for you. And what a blessing it is to have that that week. Um, just want to let you know, too, that on uh, Wednesday nights, we'll be in Job the next two Wednesdays. And then on the 26th, which is the last Wednesday, Thanksgiving Eve, we're going to have a special Thanksgiving Eve service that we do every year. It's a family service, so the kids will be in here. We will have nursery for you know, four-year-olds year and under if you choose to use the nursery. It's going to be a short service in that. We'll have a time of worship. I'll do a short teaching, and yes, I can do a short teaching, okay? <laughs> so, um, and uh, then we're going to have a, a pie social afterwards, as we customarily do every year. We have a great time, and if you'd like to bring a pie to share, uh, please do so. 
And uh, if what one thing that would help uh, is if you have them pre-cut into pieces, okay? So that'll help out. Also, if you want to bring a gluten-free, sugar-free pie, make sure you mark it, and that'd be a blessing to some that would prefer that. So Pie Social in three weeks, Thanksgiving Eve. It's a wonderful, wonderful service. Invite a friend, invite a family to come join us as we just give thanks to the Lord and, and just have a special night on Thanksgiving Eve. And then we'll be entering into uh, the Christmas season. And uh, Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve, uh, we don't have to change our schedule at all because it's on Wednesday night. So we'll keep our Wednesday night service. We'll have, uh, give you the times for Christmas Eve services. And then New Year's Eve, uh, the last Wednesday of the year, we're going to do our uh, annual prophecy update. So a lot going on in the world, a lot of things that are pointing to the soon return of Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at Scripture in light of what we're seeing taking place today. And that's always a wonderful service, always packed out. And prophecy update is how we will finish the year. If we get there, if the Lord doesn't come back before then, all right? But then we'll start a new year, and we're just going to do what we continue to do, and that is teach God's Word uh, with love. And we're just going to see what God has for us. And I know that uh, it's going to be a wonderful year in the Lord. Um, he's done so many wonderful things this year, and, and it's not over yet. He's still working, and he wants to continue to work. And so many ministries being raised up. Uh, most excellent way that started this year, Grief Share is going to start on Thursday nights. Uh, the youth uh, groups, you know, middle schoolers and high schoolers continue to grow. One of the things that we're going to do that I want to announce tonight, we'll announce it on Sunday and then kind of remind you, we are going to, um, starting January 11th, we're going to make the move to go to three Sunday morning services. And uh, a couple Wednesdays ago, we spent time just in prayer, um, just praying about how God is moving and working through this ministry and um, just spending that time. Sometimes I think on Wednesday nights we need to... Stop and do that once in a while. It's, it's easier to do that on Wednesday. Uh, but the second service is just packed out. And uh, it continues to be that way. And, you know, there's always an empty chair here in the sanctuary. But what we're seeing is, is that people are coming in. The coffee shop is packed out, packed out. And um, there's chairs being set up to, or taking us back to the door. So a family comes in with a small child. And they have really nowhere to go. And there's no room in a coffee shop. They, they you know, want to keep their, their, maybe their toddler with them. Uh, they're visiting. And we do have children's ministry. And there's really no place for them in here, perhaps, or a, a family that, that comes that has five, six people because uh, the rows are taken up and it's, it's just packed out. The bathrooms are getting backed up. Uh, the parking is, um, continues to just increase out here in this field um, in cars. So we just need to make the move to go to three Sunday morning services. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to have the service times at 8, 9, 30, and 11. And we want to do it after the holidays. We need to take time to get ready for that. Uh, we'll be letting you know what needs are and how you can pray for us and um, how we can meet the needs. And I know that where God guides, he provides. And listen, I'm always one that I, I take time to really pray and had you guys pray about it and been talking to uh, the leadership about this. And there's been times where I kind of come up to the edge and then kind of backed off. Um, now it's time to take the leap, all right, and three Sunday morning services. Now, you might be asking, why don't we do a Saturday night? Um, really prayed about that one, and 
just the dynamics of the week with Wednesday being a real long day for the staff and here we're here from you know early till till uh, after you know everybody leaves on Wednesday night uh, so Saturday with the number of things going on you have weddings and things like that to go late afternoon it really changes the dynamic of the week and uh, so what I want to do is I really feel like the Lord is uh, just telling us to maximize your Sunday morning resources. Go to those three Sunday morning services, and the services will be a little bit shorter, probably about 10 minutes. And, and then, you know, if we need to go to a Saturday night after that, we'll go to a Saturday night. But that's the way that we feel like the Lord is leading us and the impact on the staff. And um, so we're going to go ahead and do that. So will you be in prayer for us? Okay. And this is, these are good problems. These are really good problems. And um, again, like I said, I didn't want to do it. Uh, we felt like, you know, right before the holidays, uh, we're going to be busy enough. We need time to kind of plan. And then after that first Sunday, which is the fourth, uh, is going to be right after, you know, people are just coming back from the holiday break and things like that. But after that, going ahead and starting um, three services because really where you really see increase in attendance um, and new pe- we're seeing new people come all the time all the time new families uh, and um, but you get into February March April you know there's been services 1030 service we really couldn't get hardly anybody else in and again it, it um, I'm afraid that people are coming and say this is so crowded and um, we're not going to come back so we want to relieve that problem, and so we're going to go ahead and do that. And there are challenges, you know. you got three services, so the worship team being here for three services, children ministry for three services, um, all these things. So it's a great opportunity for you to be praying and see how the Lord might have you be involved here at Calvary Chapel. we got four services in a week, and um, so that's a wonderful opportunity uh, for you to be involved and, and come here. And, and uh, the neat thing about when you have multiple services on Sunday, I, I don't want to sound like a salesman, um, just give you some things to think about, but you can serve at a service and then sit at the next service and, um, and come in and, and be in fellowship. So that's one of the advantages of it. The disadvantage is I know that it feels like we shuffle people in and shuffle them out. And the church is getting to that size where people are saying, well, I don't know everyone, and I understand, but I'm not going to put a lock on the door, okay? Um, we're just going to allow the Lord to bring who he wants to bring and, and let God do that and move that. You guys know that I'm not out to promote a big church and all of this. I'm here to teach the Word of God. And the vision for Calvary Chapel Greeley is to make sure you're the best-fed, best-loved sheep in Greeley, all right? And that's it. And whatever God wants to do with that, we're going to let him do that. Others have said, why don't you get a bigger building? And as I've said, uh, bigger buildings are expensive. And they're very expensive. And we are a church that we are debt-free. We don't talk a whole lot about money. We don't put pressure to, uh, for people to give. We want you to give freely and willingly. I don't see who gives individually. It's none of my business. Now, well, I do see the final numbers, and we take very seriously the finances here, but um, we live within our means, and um, I don't want to go into this, you know, uh, wild thing about we've got to get a bigger building and all of this, and, and I've seen ministries really struggle with that. We want to be wise. I'm not saying that God can't give us a bigger building, or that isn't in the future. 
But I keep going back to what uh, we read in Second Chronicles, you might recall last spring, that when Hezekiah was having a Passover, and, and it was a time where God was moving, and it says that the hand of the Lord was upon Judah, and they had a singleness of heart. He'll show it to us. Amen? He'll show it to us. And we'll look at it and we'll say, that's good and that's right. And, and God is opening the door for us. And it's not going to be a struggle. It's not going to be, you know, let's have thermometers out in the you know, coffee shop, you know, and, and weird, you know, campaigns to raise money and things like that. Um, I'm not smart enough to do it. And uh, I want it to be, listen, whatever God is doing here, whether we stay here, whether we go to six services a week, Whatever God has for us, he will provide. And I want it to be a testimony of what God is doing. And people to look at it and say, look, God is moving and God is working. And God's hand is on them. And God is blessing in this way. And it to be a testimony of God's provision and goodness that he's doing through Calvary Chapel Greeley. Listen, people are hungry. And one of the reasons that we're seeing a lot of people is because of Grace FM and being on the radio and the radio program going throughout the airwaves all throughout from Pueblo, Colorado up to Cheyenne, Wyoming. And people, I believe, are hungry and they desire to hear the teaching of the Word of God verse by verse. And that's why God is blessing because we continue to reach out and plus... Plus you guys, plus you guys are being a testimony of the reality of Jesus in your life to others. So invite somebody. Do you realize if everybody invited one person, the church would double? So pretty simple math, right? There's always all these, you know, campaigns and how to grow your churches. Invite somebody, all right? And, and just pray about how you can get people here and they can hear the gospel and have an opportunity to respond to the gospel and, and grow in God's word because it's getting dark out there in the world, isn't it? It's getting darker every single day. And people are confused and they're hurting and they're wondering. And we're going to talk a little bit, actually a lot about it on Sunday as we go into John chapter 12. We finish the chapter actually. And we're going to see that Jesus says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. And how is it that we can draw people to Jesus? We take them to the cross, and we give them the gospel. So we'll talk more about that on Sunday, but I better get into our Bible study, all right? So, Father, we do ask that you just bless um, tonight's study as we cover these chapters, which, again, can be very sobering and, and um, serious. And uh, sometimes we go through these chapters of Job's, it, it seems like, is very difficult, but Lord, you want to teach us, and you want to guide us, and Lord, we do thank you for uh, what you're doing, the teaching of your word, producing healthy sheep, and healthy sheep reproducing, and, and more people coming, I thank you for all these youth kids that are here, and they're upstairs, and, and they're growing uh, in your word, and loving you, and it's, it's exciting to see that, Lord. And Father, as we do plan for the weeks and months ahead, I pray that we would always be just where you want us to be. And Lord, not lagging behind, but not getting ahead of you. Not trying to manipulate you, but Lord, just allowing you to provide for us and guide us. So we can say that, yes, that the hand of the Lord is on us and we have a singleness of heart. We look at it and say, this is good, Lord, and you're working and you're providing and people are being blessed, and they're coming to know Jesus, and we're a light in this community. And Lord, we want to continue that even tonight. So we have this time, 
Lord, just bless it as we study your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So you recall that um, the last two chapters that we covered last time, in chapters 4 and 5, that one of Job's friends, remember that Job, as he's gone through this great difficulty, that he had three friends that came and sat with him in the ash heap. Job has gone through tremendous loss, as you know. He's lost his children. He's lost his wealth. He's lost his servants. Um, he has uh, been afflicted very severely physically. So he has painful boils all over him. And his friends come to, as Job is there in, in the ash heap. He, he's scraping the boils off of him. His friends didn't even recognize him. So they sit with him for seven days, and all of a sudden, we know that Job began to speak. But these three friends, Eliphaz and Bildad and Zophar, are going to be giving their counsel to Job. Uh, three friends, and, and the counsel that we're going to see um, is going to begin here to, uh, tonight, or actually last time in chapter 4, as in chapter 3, Job, he would uh, speak, and he deplores his birth, and then Eliphaz, he began to speak. Eliphaz, as I mentioned to you, is probably the oldest of the three of Job's friends, uh, counselors that have come. Job's going to refer to them later on as miserable counselors, because what they have to say is very, very harsh, and, and very difficult, and hurtful for Job to hear. And remember that Job here, as he's speaking, that he is speaking out of a man who is very much in deep sorrow and hurting deeply, and it's emotional, and it's a man that has lost so much. So we got to remember that. And these three friends here, as they are speaking to Job, they're not really bringing comfort to him at all. Matter of fact, they're being very harsh, and that is what Eliphaz does. He is basing what he is saying on experience and also on legalism or tradition. And so what he told uh, Job in, in the last two chapters, chapters 4 and 5, is that, Job, you did something wrong. You sinned and offended God, and you need to repent. And that is going to be the basic theme of really all three of these guys given to Job here. So Job here, he's been listening to Eliphaz uh, in the last two chapters. So now Job begins to speak as he answered and said in chapter 6, verse 1, Oh, that my grief were fully weighed and my calamity laid with it on the scales. For then it would be heavier than the sand of the sea. Therefore my words ha have been rash, for the arrows of the Almighty are within me. My spirit drinks in their poison. The terrors of God are, are arrayed against me. Does the wild donkey bray when it has grass, or does the ox low over its fodder? Can flavor, uh, flavor less food be eaten without salt? Or is there any taste in the white of an egg? Verse 7, my soul refuses to touch them. They are as uh, loathsome food to me. So here is, again, Job. Remember that he's really hurting here. And he is expressing that his grief, if it was fully weighed, speaking about how heavy it would, it'd be more than the sand on the seas. He's describing somehow how great his suffering is. And his friends have not brought comfort to him. Now, we cannot fully understand maybe the heaviness of somebody's grief, and it is heavy. Those of you who have really gone through grief, through a loss or through a, such a, a tragedy or a difficulty where it brought grief to you and sorrow, that is very heavy, isn't it? 
and we can't fully understand the heaviness of that person that they are feeling, but we can have sympathy. And we can, those of you who have been through loss or you know, grief or, or difficulty, that you have felt that heaviness in your own life, that, that being weighed down, that you can sympathize with that person. You can kind of understand a little bit what they've gone through, even though we can't fully understand what a person is going through. Only God fully understands that. But here in verse 4, he indicates that God is out to get him. He thinks that Job here, that God is his enemy. He writes that the arrows of the Almighty are within me and, and sent poison against me. In other words, I'm a target is what Job that he feels. Now remember that he's speaking out of grief. He's speaking out of emotions. And perhaps there have been times in your life where you thought, Lord, are you against me? You know, why, why this? And, and shooting arrows at me, kind of picturing God, a mean old man up in heaven, leaning over the banister of heaven, shooting the arrows at you. And that's the way Job feels right now at this time. But again, that he indicates, Job, here in this sorrow and in this grief that he's going through, how the words of Eliphaz were tasteless, were useless. He needed to hear words of encouragement that would lift him up. You see, when we're talking to somebody and able to, to converse with them that is going through difficulty, that's what they need. They need that encouragement. They need to be built up. They need to, to see that we have compassion towards them. Our words carry a lot of weight, don't they? And we want to be ones that as we go through here, we're going to see that what these three friends, that what they're saying to, to Job some of it has merit. Some of it has truth, certainly. But oftentimes, in the truth that they're giving, they're giving it in the wrong implication and with the wrong application. In other words, they're not being wise and discerning. Hey, Job, you've sinned. Well, that wasn't true. We saw in chapter 1 that God described Job, even though we know Job was one as a sinner. Everybody has sinned that has ever lived, the only one that has lived a perfect life on this earth is Jesus Christ, who went to the cross, the sinless one. But Job was one as described as upright and blameless and, and shunned evil and feared God. That was God's description of him. Hiller, Eliphaz, and the other guys are going to say, you must have really done something to offend God. You need to confess it. So that wasn't true. But they're going to, to speak, and they're going to give some truth. But oftentimes, as we kind of go through this, we're going to see that they give the wrong application and implication. That's why it's very important that not only do we know the Word of God, but we are using the Word of God along with the Spirit of God that is helping us to be discerning and wise in what we say to people as we speak to them. And that's why I believe it's so critical that you have devotions when you start your day, that you're praying, Lord, help me today, not only live for you, but I want to be used by you because you don't know what divine appointment that God might have for you to meet somebody who perhaps is hurting or going through difficulties. And Lord, help me be sensitive to that and have the right words that you give to me to speak to that person. So it's the Word of God, having the knowledge of the Word of God, along being used with, you know, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit giving you those words at the right time. So here is Eliphaz just blasting away 
Um, and the other guys will continue. We will see that as we go through this book. But we read in verse 8, Oh, that I might have my request that God would grant me the thing that I long for, that it would please God to crush me, that he would loose his hand and cut me off, and then I would still have comfort, though in anguish I would exult, and he would not spare, for I have not concealed the words of the Holy One. Job is so miserable at this point that he's just praying, God, please just finish me off. Now, some people read the book of Job and they think that Job was suicidal and he's, you know, advocating suicide. He's not doing that at all. He has this emotion of, Lord, you finish me off. Lord, just finish me off. And he's feeling, as we're seeing here, that he has no reason to live. He feels like that he has no real future. He, he's longing for, for that comfort, but he doesn't see it. So that's why he's expressing this. And he doesn't realize that the Lord is working. And I'm sure that perhaps there are some that are here that you felt like that, that Lord, is there any hope? Is there anything really to live for? I want you to know this, that you always have something and someone to live for. You do. Never forget that. And you might be going through such difficult loss and grief and sorrow in your heart that you're thinking, oh, Lord, I just wish that you'd just finish me off. Do I have any future? And the Lord says to you, you know the verse, don't you? Jeremiah 29, 11, as the Lord says, I know my thoughts towards you. They are thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Always, always remember Tuck it in your heart and don't forget that he is your future and your hope. And as you call upon me, he says that you will be heard. And as you seek me, you're going to find me. You always, always have a reason to live in a future, and that is Jesus Christ. He loves you and he has a plan for you. You see, Job doesn't know that at this point. But we can look to God's word and we know that God has a plan for us. And he's working. And it is very difficult in those times that we're going through sorrow as we don't know if God is working and how he's working. In, but he is. He's working in us. And he's working in eternity's perspective. So Job here just expressing his misery at this point. We continue in verse 11. What strength do I have that I should hope? And what is my end that I should prolong my life? Is my strength and the strength of stones or is my flesh bronze? Is my help not within me and is success driven from me? So he has no strength. He, he's saying I have no hope. Is my hope, verse thir uh, 13, uh, my help not within me? Now, as he says that in verse 13, he's not a self-help guru. He is saying, do I have any you know, power to help myself now that success is driven from me? And the answer is no. He recognizes that he doesn't. And that's why it really concerns me when I hear those who are desiring to, to give counsel to others, those who say, well, I'm a Christian counselor, and yet they will use the world's philosophy to try to get people to find their inner strength. you got to find your inner strength. And that's not biblical. And you see, the good news for you and for me from God's Word is when we are weak, He makes us strong, right? There is no inner strength in me. 
There have been times where I think, Lord, I have no strength. And I know that the commandment of the Lord, we talked about the, this summer in our Being Faithful to God series, that we're to be strong and courageous. But it isn't you and I thinking, okay, I've got to find my inner strength and I've got to, you know, suck it up and tough it out and grit my teeth and muster it up somehow. We don't have that inner strength. And the good news for you and for me is, is that He, through the work of the Holy Spirit, will give us that strength when we're weak. That's good news about being a Christian, that He'll bring us the comfort when we're mourning, that He'll give us wisdom when we need direction, that He is everything that we need. We've been going through John's Gospel, and Jesus says, I am, I am the bread of life. And you come and eat and drink of me, you'll never hunger and thirst. He says, I am the light of the world, and you won't be in darkness. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the vine. I'm the door. I'm the good shepherd. I'm everything that you need. And that's what we need to remind each other of and remind those who are going particularly through difficulties in ourselves when we're going through it, that he is going to give you that strength. And whenever that we promote, you need to find your inner strength. You know, you need to to find that and muster it up. We're robbing people of the work of God that he wants to do in them and provide for them. So here he is. He is my help not within me and and is success driven from me. In verse 14, to him who is, is afflicted, kindness should be shown by his friend, even though he forsakes the fear of the Almighty. My brothers have dealt deceitfully like a brook, like the streams of the brooks that pass away. Verse 16, which are dark because of the ice and into which the snow vanishes. When it is warm, they cease to flow. Then it is hot, they vanish from their place. The paths of their way turn aside. They go nowhere and perish. The caravans of Tema look, the travelers of Sheba, that's Saudi Arabia, uh, hope for them. They are disappointed because they are confident. They come there and are confused, for now you are nothing. You see terror and are afraid. Did I ever say, bring something to me, or offer a bride for me uh, from wealth, or deliver me from the enemy's hand, or redeem me from the hand of oppressors? And so Job challenges Eliphaz. You have nothing to give but self-righteous opinions. You are no help. You're like a brook that has dried up. That's disappointing to the traveler. Again, you're wearing me. You're not helping me. You should be refreshing me. Listen, if you want to be effective in ministering to others and being a counselor to others, whether it's those at work that you work alongside of or family members, your children, that we need to refresh them with the words of the Lord. And we need to give them Jesus because Jesus is the one that says to you and to me, if anyone thirsts, let them come to me. Come to me personally and know me and, and, and stay close to me. And just continue to abide in me and, and walk with me. Be surrendered to me. Come to me. And out of your hearts will flow torrents of living water. The Lord desires to refresh you as you go to him. He's the one that has living water. And may we be ones that we give the water of the word, right, to others that need it, that need to be refreshed, that are all dried up and and shriveled up. We don't want to disappoint them with our opinions, with the world's philosophy. Give them the words of eternal life. 
Give them the words of truth from the scriptures. Give them the water of the word. So Job here is saying, you have nothing to give, Eliphaz, and your words that, that you've given to me. In verse 24, teach me and I will hold my tongue. Cause me to understand wherein I have erred. How forceful are right words, but what does your arguing prove? Do you intend to rebuke my words and the speeches of a desperate one which are as wind? Yes, you overwhelm the fatherless, and you undermine your friend. Now, therefore, be pleased to look at me, for I would never lie to your face. Yield now, let there be no injustice. Yes, concede my righteousness still stands. Is there injustice on my tongue? Cannot my taste discern the unsavory? So here, he gives two requests, Job does. And there are two requests that will help us to minister to others. First of all, he says, teach me. Teach me. Give me truth. Give me truth and I'll I'll listen to it. David would write in Psalm 86, verse 11, Teach me your ways, O Lord, and I'll walk in your truth. We need to be ones that we continue as we're learning truth, just as we're doing here tonight, as we go through the scriptures in your own devotion that this is truth that we are to learn, but we're to give others truth as well. And there is always that, you know, that tendency, if we're not careful, that we want to give people our opinions. We want to give people our, our great ideas. We want to give people, you know, some story. And there's places for that, but ultimately, ultimately, you've got to give them truth if you really want to help them. You've got to give them truth. And for us to teach others, you know, the Word of God and give them. And, and it is a blessing to them as we do that. But second of all, he says here in verse 28, Now therefore be pleased to look at me, for I would never lie to your face. In other words, he's saying, look upon me. Now this is important. These guys were sitting with Job in the ash heap. They saw him when they initially came. They didn't even recognize him. And it would be very, very hard for these guys to look at Job. And they're to the point of they're speaking, but they're not even looking at him. And it's like Job is saying, look at me. Look at me and I'll listen to you. Give me truth. Teach me. Give me something that's going to refresh me. And people that are hurting have that heart. And we can sense Job's heart here saying, show that you care. And you can show by, by looking at me. You see, in Luke chapter 10, Jesus tells of that parable of the Good Samaritan. A certain man who was robbed. You, you know that parable. A man that was a Samaritan that was looked down upon. And the priest came by and he didn't even look at the guy. He, he knew he was a Samaritan just passed by. And then the Levite. These guys, the priests and the Levites, these are the ones that had the answers. These were the ones that were the leaders. These are the ones that were to, to teach the people the word of God. But they wouldn't even look at that Samaritan. And you see, in ministry, in ministering to others, it isn't just having a head knowledge And even just a knowledge of God's word, it is a knowledge of God's word, yes, that is of primary importance, but it's given it with compassion to talk with those that are hard to look at because of the circumstances that they're going through or the sorrow that they're feeling. 
or perhaps the difficult circumstance that they're in, maybe even, maybe even that they're going through it physically where that sickness has really just attacked their body where they're hard to look at. But we are to look at them, not just with their eyes as we make eye contact, but we connect with them with our hearts. That's what I'm talking about. And that's when they're going to listen to truth. That's when they're going to know that you really care. So that's how we can give comfort and care and give to others and how we can touch their hearts because we are sharing our hearts and we're willing to look at them and their situation and not just look beyond them and start, you know, well, you need to do this and this is what it says and move on and pass by, but really sit with them. And really desiring to touch their hearts, heart to heart, all right? Heart to heart. Heart to heart. I'm thinking right now of the Old Testament story, Elijah. Remember the, 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 the woman that he ministered to and, and uh, that fixed up a house for Elijah? Remember that? And um, she came, and, and, um, or he came, and he had a little place that set up. And, and Elijah said, you know, what is it that you'd like? And she said, I'm fine, I'm good. Elijah said, you know what, you're going to have a son. And she said, please, don't say that. We're, we're me and my husband, past the age of bearing children. No, you're going to have a son, and she did. And something happened to that son where there was an accident. So she goes to find Elijah. Elijah sends his servant ahead and says, you know, lay, lay my staff on, on the boy. And so he is behind the servant coming with the woman, and he goes up to the room, and nothing happens. He comes back, and, you know, your son's dead. He's still dead. So Elijah goes there, and he goes hand to hand, it says, and it goes mouth to mouth, and it goes eye to eye. Hey, guys, go eye to eye. Really look at that person. Really, really see their situation that you really care. Go mouth to mouth where you really just allowing them to share and speak and you're speaking with them and edifying them and encouraging them and yes there are times where we got to bring them back and correct them because they're they may be speaking things that aren't biblical because they're overwhelmed with emotion but just bring them back and caring for them go hand to hand serve them and as elijah did this all of a sudden the boy life came back into him and it will be the same as you minister in that way, to really care. Job says, you won't even look at me. You won't even look at me. I would listen if you did, but you don't. So chapter 7, is there not a time of hard service for a man on earth? Are not his days also like the days of a hired man, like a servant who earnestly desires a shade, and, and like a hired man who eagerly looks for his wages? So I've been a lot of months of futility, and wearisome nights have been appointed to me, and I lie down, I say, when shall I arise and the night be ended? For I have had my fill of tossing till dawn. My flesh is caked with worms and dust. My skin is cracked and breaks out afresh. As Job is still speaking, he gives a picture of 
futility. Uh, what's the purpose? Uh, this, you know, there's no point. There's no hope again is what he's expressing. In verse 1, if you have a King James that says the appointed time or it, it takes on the meaning of a man who's been drafted into an army against his will or a hired man as we read in the New King James here. I heard, man, there's, there's no hope. Just There's no real good reward, only weariness, looking for the day to end so he can get his wages. Life is, is just pointless, worthless. And that's the way he feels. And the nights are long. As verse four and, verses 4 and 5, my future uh, is, all it has is agony. Sleepless nights, I toss. The nights seem like they never end. The night watches. When you're hurting for whatever reason, the night watches are very long, aren't they? It's kind of like you can have the flu at night. You know how that night goes on forever and you're just waiting for the day to come? It's the same way when people are really hurting and the night watches and they're up and they toss and they turn and they're grieving and they have sorrow and it's long nights. Will you always remember that God has given you that hope and purpose? And when you're in the middle of the trials, you don't always see that and realize that. But here Job is saying, what's the purpose? It, it's just pointless it's futile and it's just agony do you realize that people who don't have Jesus Christ deep down inside that's the way most people feel what really is the purpose and and you know feeling hopeless and feeling you know is it pointless life because there's emptiness that is there so I pray that we would always kind of be sensitive to, to you know, non-believers and really having a heart for them. I, I pray that we have a heart for the unsaved because they feel that way a lot of times because they don't have a true hope and purpose and future that only comes through Jesus Christ, right? We have hope. We're going to go to heaven. We have hope because we have the promises of God. And we can stand on those promises and we can cry out to God to receive the comfort of the Lord. But a lot of people don't have that. So here's Job. He, at this point, he's just expressing again those feelings. In verse 6, my days are swifter than a weaver's sh shuttle um, and are spent without hope. Oh, remember that my life is a breath. My eye will never again see good. The eye of him who sees me uh, will see me no more. While your eyes are upon me, I shall no longer be. In verse 9, as the clouds disappear and vanishes away, so he who goes down to the grave does not come up. He shall never return to his house, nor shall his place know him anymore. When the day comes and drags on, life and, and is like a cloud that vanishes away. We know that life is short. James says that our lives is but a vapor, right? But he's saying that my days are spent without hope. Listen, Job doesn't know that the best days are ahead of him. He, do, he doesn't know that at this time. He doesn't see it in the midst of the difficulty. And we don't see 
how God is going to work in the present, but we can listen in faith. Know that, Lord, okay, I don't understand. I don't know how it's all going to work, but I do know this, that you promised that you're working all things for good for those who love you, who are called according to your purposes. I'm going to stand on that promise, and I know that you are working for eternity's values and views, and you're working in me to grow me in godly character and perseverance to endure, which is going to grow me in maturity, completeness. That is grow my faith. You are working that you may be glorified, that you may be glorified. God is working, and there are days ahead that will give you hope, even though you don't see it. And Job doesn't see it at this time. In verse 11, Therefore I will not restrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Am I a sea or a sea serpent that you set a guard over me? When I say my bed will comfort me, my couch will ease my complaint, then you scare me with dreams and terrify me with visions so that my soul chooses strangling and death rather than my body. I loathe my life. I would not live forever. Let me alone for my days are but a breath. Really, he's being honest, isn't he? He's being honest before God in his anguish. In these verses, Job is saying his complaint, why are you watching over me so close? Uh, It's like Job is saying, let me alone, as, as he says in verse 16, let me alone. Can I remind us of this? We should be comforted and thankful that God watches over us. Will you always remember that? What should scare us is when he's not watching over us. But he promises to watch over us. And he has good intent for us, even though we go through the difficulties of life and the loss of life. In verse 17, what is man that you should exalt him and that you should set your heart on him, that you should visit him every morning and test him every moment? How long will you not look away from me and let me alone till I swallow my saliva? Have I sinned? What have I done to you, O watcher of men? Well, why have you set me as your target so that I'm a burden to myself? Why then do you not pardon my transgression and take away my iniquity? For now I will lie down in the dust and you will seek me diligently, but I will no longer be. You know, it's like Job is saying, you know, what is man that you would even be, you know, interested or bothering me, God? I am nothing. Why do you visit me? Now, David asked that question with a different attitude and mindset. He was at awe of God as he looked at the heavens and said, The heavens declare your glory in Psalm 8. And what is man that you're mindful of him? You know, the Lord is mindful of you. He, he does visit us. He cares about us. He sees us and he hears us. And why? Because he loves you. And he cares about you. He cares about you and never forget that. That his love remains and his love is indescribable, unmeasurable, um, unsearchable. It's his love for you. And that's why Jesus came for you specifically. What is man that you're mindful of him? And God sees you and me as the crowning jewel of his creation is what God's word says. And he loved us so much that he sent his son to die on Calvary's cross for us. 
And that's why we come to the communion table that we're going to do right now. As we open up the communion table, as you come and as you are just holding those elements, remember that the Lord visited us. He came to this world, right? Because he loves you to give you a hope and a future, salvation, forgiveness of sin, and knowing that we're going to be with him for all eternity. And so the Lord does prove his love to us by coming and visiting us, his son dying on Calvary's cross. So Lord, thank you so much that we can come here tonight. And as we go through these chapters that at times it seems kind of dark and difficult, but Lord, we know that here's a man that is expressing difficulty and, and sorrow and grief and how heavy it is and wearisome to him. And he's being honest. And Lord, you know our hearts. And we can have those same kinds of feelings when we're really going through difficulty and loss. But Lord, we also know that we're to take the word of God and plant it in our hearts and be established in that. So help us to do that. And Lord, I do pray that if there's anyone listening on live stream or if there's anyone that by chance is here tonight, that you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. Life is futile without him, without a life surrendered to Jesus. There's no real purpose because this life will come to an end on this side of eternity. This world's going to come to an end. This world is not your hope. Jesus is. And he has a wonderful plan for you to save you, to forgive you, and to make your life count as he desires to use you and bless you. And I just want to pray if there's anybody here that you've never responded to the gospel. It's not about religion. It's about relationship with Jesus Christ who came to this world and died for you because of his love for you. And the Bible says that we've all sinned and the wages of sin is death. But Jesus came to give life that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And it comes by faith in Jesus Christ alone comes by believing in him comes by calling out to him to be your personal lord and savior and if that's something that you have never done will you do that tonight if you're listening on live stream if you, if somebody here maybe somebody's out there in a the coffee shop i don't know but today is the day of salvation give your life to jesus to be forgiven and have the hope of heaven and to become his child, one who visited us, Jesus, because of his love for us and died for us. And you pray, Jesus, come be my personal Lord and Savior. I confess that I am a sinner. And I ask that you forgive me. I believe you died on Calvary's cross. I confess that. And that you're alive because right now I know that you're knocking on the door of my heart and I now open my heart for you to sit upon the throne of my heart as my personal Lord and Savior. And thank you for loving me and forgiving me and giving me the hope of heaven. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sins. In his name I pray. And now as we come to the communion table, Lord, I pray that we would just, as we hold the elements, that we would continue the worship and just be at awe at this so great a salvation that we have and your love that was demonstrated and proved to us how you love us now in Jesus name so the communion tables are open we can come up and take of the elements and 
and then we're going to partake of them together. But it's a time of just uh, seeking the Lord and being at awe of this new covenant that we've entered into uh, as we come to the communion table.